What up, guys? Your boy Quake back with a brand new episode of the Diverse Mentality Podcast, number 227. And there is a lot of news relating to Tupac that has come out when it comes to somebody finally getting charged for something relating to his murder. So I'm going to break that down a little bit right now, actually, in the beginning of the episode. Break some of that down. Some of the new witnesses that have come out. Now, mind you, this is 27 years later, new witnesses uh, during a secret, secretly held grand jury. New witnesses have come out and revealed new information, basically confirming that I, I was right. Like, literally, I was right. It was not Orlando Anderson that shot. But we'll get into that. This is the whole point of everything. But we'll get into that. Anyways, I want to talk about the documentaries that I got coming out this week. I have a new documentary coming out relating to Mexican cartel and one of my favorite rap groups, actually my favorite rap group of all time. So you guys can guess what that is easily. Um, but that's a cool story that I want to touch on. And then I revealed on X, aka Twitter, that I am working on a Diddy documentary and is going to be focused around the million dollar hit on Tupac. Yes, I want to deep dive into that. I've uh, been gathering information about it. I find it very interesting. I think it's something that um, that needs to be explored, and who knows, man? Uh, I don't know how it's what it, what you know what the reaction on it is going to be, but I'm gonna I'm not gonna you know I'm not saying that Diddy did do it, and I'm not saying that Diddy didn't do it. I'm kind of just gonna pro- provide information and let people decide on what they what they want to do and what they want to say. So I am working on that as well. So this upcoming week of October, there's going to be an uncut version of this mini documentary that I'm doing. Uh, on Patreon for you guys, and then there's gonna be, it's going to be out on YouTube probably end of this October week, so this first week of October, end of it, probably it's when you expect it. If not, second week, beginning at worst. But uh, yeah, I'm getting working on that. Uh, I have some Versus videos that is lined up as well. So this month, I'm hoping to release three to four videos on the main channel um, because, like I said, the channel's been kind of dead for a while. I've been kind of black-balled and blacklisted on YouTube because I haven't uploaded that frequently. Um, just recently I did a Keefe D video, um, and it did well. So, uh, anyways, uh, it is tied to this podcast, that Keefe D video. So you guys will, will hear about that. Um, I pre-recorded it. So it's a little bit ahead of, you know, uh, time in the recording of this podcast, if that makes any sense to you guys. Anyways, I'm talking too much. So let's get into the breaking news and it is crazy. Keefe D has finally been arrested after all these years. A lot of people are confused as to why it didn't happen earlier but I'm going to break down exactly why it didn't and how not understanding the law got Keefe D arrested. Now, a lot of people are wondering, why is this happening now? Why 27 years later, finally somebody got arrested in connection to the murder of him? Well, I want to get into that. I want to talk about why Keefe D not knowing the law is what got him arrested all these years later. Well, let's go back into why he actually decided to confess in 2009. Greg Kading, who is a detective from the LAPD, a retired detective now, decided to look into the Biggie murder case. And Biggie was murdered in Los Angeles. Tupac was murdered in Las Vegas. So obviously two different police departments when it comes to both cases. But after looking into the Biggie situation, he started getting into the Tupac situation and ran into Keefe D and then looked into Keefe D and got more information from the LAPD as well as the Las Vegas PD and decided to gather information on Keefe D because he assumed that Keefe D knew exactly what happened that night. And the best way to get him to confess is to get new dirt on him to potentially get him locked up for a lot of time. 
Well, that's what they did. They started investigating Keefe D. They started looking into what he was doing, and they basically found out that he was involved in 2006, 2007, and 2008, around those years, in a drug trafficking ring. He was still selling a lot of drugs, moving a lot of drugs, and they gathered all that information, decided to show up to his house in 2009, sat down with him in his garage, and basically laid it out all on the table. Greg Kading and another detective decided to lay out all the information they had on Keefe D and said, hey, if you're not honest with us about everything that you've done relating to the Tupac shooting, we're going to arrest you and give you a lot of time. At this time, Keefe D was roughly in his late 40s and he was battling cancer. So he was in a bad situation in life and did not want to go to prison as well. So he decided to confess to everything that he knew relating to the Tupac murder. During a confession like this, they gave him something called a proffer agreement. A proffer agreement is basically an agreement that says, listen, if you admit to us everything that you've done and the information is accurate, we can't prosecute you based on what you said during this time, during the proffer agreement. Only though, during this moment. And when you do a proffer agreement, you have to have at least two detectives there because if one passes away there can still be one that can prosecute you years down the line if you do slip up and start talking outside of this proffer agreement the proffer agreement gives Keefe D the chance to admit to everything without getting prosecuted for those things that he admitted to specifically in that proffer agreement during that moment meaning years down the line if he speaks to the exact same things outside of the proffer agreement at that moment then he could be convicted, and that's the difference. That's why Keefe D is arrested right now because he did not understand what a proffer agreement is. There are two things that the feds can offer you when it comes to you confessing to crimes and murders that you've done. The first offer is the proffer agreement, which Keefe D got, and that proffer agreement basically says that whatever you admit to us right now during this moment only, we can't use it against you. And then they can offer an immunity agreement. Immunity agreement means that no matter what, whatever you admit to right now, we can never prosecute you on. No matter where you say it, no matter what interview you say it on, no matter what book you release talking about it, we can never prosecute you on this. And that's the difference. Keefe D thought he had an immunity agreement when he had a proffer agreement. So during that moment, Keefe D confessed to everything. In his mind, he thought, since I confessed to everything, I can't get convicted of it. Now, I need money because I'm battling cancer, and I need to find a way to get this money. And the best way to get the money is to tell the story about Tupac's murder because that's obviously what's going to get attention. That's what's going to give him money to do interviews. That's what's going to make him write the book and get people to buy it. So what Keefe decided to do after the proffer agreement finished, you know, snitching and basically telling about everything because that's what he did, he laid low for a while. And then... In early 2019, decided to write a book. And the book was titled Compton Street Legend. And in this book, he basically told it all. He said Orlando Anderson was the one that shot Tupac. He talked about all the details that night about where they got the gun from, you know, how they dumped off the car, all this information, who was in the car, all publicly. And this is where he broke the proffer agreement. Because the agreement only said only during that moment in 2009 when he confessed he was safe from prosecution. Well, he decided to talk because he needed money, dropped the book. After releasing the book, 
and revealing all that information, Keefe D's name started buzzing once again. And then Keefe D decided to do a video interview, which was a huge mistake. Had he dropped the book, I do feel like most people don't read. Most people don't even care for books. So a lot of the information wouldn't have gone out like it has now. But instead, he decided to do interviews. And one of the first people to interview him since releasing the book was Vlad TV. And Vlad simply did his job, asked him questions from the book that he himself said. So Vlad didn't really do too much of prying, but, you know, Keefe D during that first interview didn't really say too much. He would say, I don't want to speak on this. Oh, you can read the book if you want to know about it. During the first interview, it wasn't too bad when he did that video interview. But as the years went on, Keefe D realized his name was buzzing a lot more and he was getting paid to do these interviews quite handsomely. So it was paying for his lifestyle. It was paying for what he needed in medical bills because of the cancer. So he decided to do a lot more interviews. And these are where the problems started coming in because Keefe D started revealing more and more information as time went on. He even appeared on the BET documentary Death Row Chronicles talking about the shooting, talking about every detail. And now that he's outside of the proffer agreement, doing interviews, talking with his own mouth about a lot of stuff, this is when the police decided to refocus on him and, you know, basically deep dive into him and be like, okay, what is he talking about now? Is he talking about everything he admitted to us on different platforms, which he was doing? Now the police can actually gather that evidence and use it in court. Every lawyer says it's easy to beat evidence when it's coming from other people, but it's harder to beat it when it's coming from your own mouth. And that's what Keefe D was doing. Every single interview, shout out to the Art of Dialogue, they got six sit-downs with Keefe D. And that's where I feel like he admitted the most information. There's even moments where he slips up and gets angry. And, you know, it almost seems like he's the one that actually pulled the trigger based on how he's talking. But throughout the years, people have said that it was Big Andre that pulled the trigger and not Orlando Anderson because people were saying that Orlando Anderson was a good kid. He really wasn't from the streets. But then there are people saying that he actually did live that life. But it was a mixture between the two. Big Andre never got that mixture. People are saying he was about it. So we don't know exactly 100% who pulled the trigger. Only The only person alive who knows who did it was Keefe D. Uh, the two eyewitnesses are dead. The first one was Gaddafi, who was a part of Tupac's label and an artist. He passed away two months after Tupac's death in November of 1996. He said he locked in eyes with the person that shot at Tupac. So he knew exactly who did it, who's the one that let off the shots. The other person that was an eyewitness was Tupac's former bodyguard, Frank Alexander, who passed away in 2013. So a lot of the people that were there at that moment have passed away. So it's really hard to get all these things lined up in terms of information. But the police feel like now they've gotten the right information with Keefe D talking and all these interviews, documentaries, and admitting in his own book that he had involvement in this. That's where now the conviction comes in. That's why they got him arrested finally now after all these years. Police did have a press conference and revealed that Keefe D was charged with one count of open murder use of a deadly weapon with gang enhancement. They also are going to charge him with orchestrating crimes, which is a whole different charge. And he's going to be facing a lot of time relating to that, as well as the murder case. A lot of people are also wondering, is there a statute of limitations when it comes to murder? And in America, there is no statute of limitations. And if you don't know what statute of limitations means, it basically means that, is there a time frame of which you can be convicted of something? Because some things 
as certain time goes on, you can't be convicted of anymore. Like if you were selling drugs 10 years ago in some states, after 10 years have gone by, you can't be convicted of that anymore. So you can talk about it openly and nothing's going to happen. But murder, there is no statute of limitations. There's rare cases where there was, like one time in Florida, there was a case where there were statute of limitations, but it's very, very, very rare. Like it's not something that happens often. I think, in my opinion, Keefe D is going to rat once again. He's going to snitch. He's going to try to get out of this situation the best that he can. And a lot of eyes are on Diddy because Keefe D has spoken a lot about Diddy is the one that paid him and his homies $1 million to get Tupac killed. Now, the information on that I'm looking into, I'm actually working on a documentary relating to that. So I'm looking into it as the days go on as well and seeing is there any validity to that. But the fact that Keefe D is someone that, you know, is when he gets locked up, he snitches, he tells. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be surprised if, you know, he starts going at Diddy and starts revealing information about Diddy and says, I got information on Diddy, I got information and tries to get Diddy in a sticky situation. Overall, it is crazy. The interesting information with his arrest is this. The court noted proof is evident and ordered no bail. Indictment warrant was issued and a matter set for arraignment for Dwayne Keefe D and his involvement in Tupac's murder. The state requested no bail due to the defendant making public statements in 2018 regarding gang involvement in the murder and writing a book in which he admitted that he ordered the death of Tupac and attempted to murder Suge Knight. So he's not getting any bail. They're saying that there's so much proof that this guy did all this stuff that we're not giving him no bail. He's going for his arraignment on October 4th, so we'll keep our eye on that and see what happens there. But overall, had Keefe D known the law, known what a proffer agreement was, I doubt he would have spoke the way he spoke right now because it's not worth all the clout and attention and fame to get locked up, especially at the age of 60 years old. That's one of the worst ways to go out as an older person is locked up behind a cell for the rest of your life. Regardless, though, that's the decisions he made. I'm just happy for the fact that finally there is some sort of closure when it comes to the Tupac murder. I know it's not what people expected, but a lot of people that were involved of Tupac's murder have passed away. A lot of witnesses have passed away. So, you know, it's a long time. 27 years ago is no joke. I hope this clarifies as to why it took the police so long to finally convict Keefe D., they were just waiting for him to talk more and more because he started in 2018 and now up in 2023, he's talked so much that finally the police had so much evidence that could tie him to a bunch of things. And now they can get that conviction and get him arrested because, you know, he admitted in 2009, but because of the proffer agreement, they couldn't prosecute him on anything that he said. So they just sat back and waited and hope that Keefe D didn't know the laws and he didn't. And they bet on that and they won on that bet because he decided to start talking, wanted to get in attention, clout, and fame, and he got what he wanted. He's in all kinds of interviews, admitting to all kinds of things. And in the state of Las Vegas, if you are in the vehicle of committing a murder, you are just as responsible as the person that pulled the trigger. So it doesn't matter if KPD was the one that pulled the trigger or not. He is just as responsible because he played a role in that murder. After this breaking news of Keefe D being arrested and the Tupac murder, there has been secret grand juries held. So what is a grand jury? Basically, the grand jury is the jury is a jury that decides if someone's going to get prosecuted in something, if there is sufficient evidence to, you know, go after somebody and basically arrest them and, you know, charge them with whatever they want to charge them with. 
So basically a grand jury, what, what police can do or, you know, detectives, law enforcement, whatever, whatever you want to call them, they can go to this grand jury, present evidence. So in this case, Keefe D, they can keep presenting evidence week after week, month after month until the grand jury feels like, okay, you have enough evidence to, you know, uh, issue an, a warrant or an arrest for this person and arrest them, you know, um, so basically month after month, that's what they've been doing. Basically, Keefe D has been going around talking, yapping on every interview, saying whatever he's saying. And, you know, month after month, police have been kind of gathering information and, you know, month after month have presented uh, the grand jury with information. However, during this grand jury, you know, it's not public. This is something that's held privately. Even the recent uh, Art of Dialogue did an interview with the recent, uh, the guy that was there when Tupac got shot, uh, the paramedic guy. That was there. He he said that there was a grand jury behind the scenes, but I couldn't say anything about it because it was private. There's grand juries being held, and there were actually, you know, witnesses. One of them is a Southside uh, Crips gang member. What's wild about these privately held grand juries is that new witnesses have been coming to these, and have been speaking after all these years. So all of a sudden, you know, everybody wants to talk. You know, after all this time has gone by, I wish it would have happened earlier, but now. You know, witnesses are coming out. Gang members, Southside Crip gang members are talking. And it's wild because, you know, who would have thought after all this time, finally witnesses are speaking because at the moment when this happened, nobody was really talking. But this this Southside Crip gang member that talked put the blame of who pulled the trigger, not on Orlando Anderson, but on Big Andre, Big Dre, who was right next to him in the backseat. So Keefe D... When he confessed in 2009, you know, which I broke that down already. When he confessed in 2009, he said that he gave the gun to the back seat. Uh, he initially gave it to Big Dre, who was on the left driver's side. So when the car pulled up, this is uh, Tupac's car, and they pulled up this way. So the driver and the driver passenger are closer to the car. So Keefe D said that he turned around, gave the gun to Big Dre, but Big Dre got cold hands, cold feet, whatever you want to call it. Basically didn't want to do it and handed the gun off to Orlando uh, Anderson. And Orlando Anderson, you know, shot. But here's why it never made sense that that was the case. Because Orlando Anderson shooting across from somebody. So imagine you're sitting in the driver's seat like this. And somebody's hand is going right here and popping off shells right in front of your face. Doesn't make any sense because you have little bullets flying like fl Flares of gunshots like going in front of your face. And Big Big Dre was, there's a reason why they call him Big Dre. The guy was big. Let's be honest here. He was damn near 300 pounds. And he actually died of health issues in late 2003, early 2004. So that never made sense. That never made sense. There's a reason. I think the reason why KPD put pinned it on Orlando Anderson was because Orlando Anderson was the one that died the fastest. He died two years after the shooting. So dying two years after the shooting, actually about... Give it a year and a half, almost two years. Dying basically two years after the shooting, you know, it's easier to pin on somebody dead versus Big Dre who died years and years later in 2004, 2008, 2003, somewhere around there. Um, so in these documents, a witness that spoke with Dre, like we're talking about somebody that was very, very close to the situation. So I know there's going to be people commenting and saying this is no, no, no. You guys, I'm telling you guys got to stop commenting these things because you guys weren't there. These are people that are close to the situation. So how are you going to question the ones that were there, the ones that actually that actually dealt with these gangs and it was there day to day? 
you know, I get it. People want to believe it's Orlando Anderson for whatever. It doesn't even matter. That's the funniest thing about this thing. It doesn't even matter because all of them, if they were alive today, the driver, Keefe D in the passenger, Big Dre in the back, and Orlando Anderson, if they're all alive today, Nevada law, which is Las Vegas, Las Vegas is Nevada, Nevada state law is that everybody gets charged with murder regardless of who pulled the trigger. So it doesn't matter. And I see a lot of media outlets kind of reporting that, you know, Keefe D was the one to get arrested. I get that point. And people are getting confused thinking that it's Keefe D that pulled the trigger because he's getting arrested for the murder. But it doesn't matter. When police held the uh, press conference, when police held the press conference, they said, and they gave this example, they said, if you, so let's just say I'm going to rob a bank, right? I'm the getaway driver. And my friend is going to rob the bank. He's going in there with the gun, holding the people's faces, taking the money. The police said in this press conference that it doesn't matter if I entered the bank, had a gun, nothing. I am helping this guy rob a bank, so I am going to be charged with robbing a bank just like the guy who robbed the bank because I'm the one that's driving. I'm still helping the person. So that is Nevada law. So it doesn't matter who pulled the trigger. If all of them were alive to this day and all this information got revealed, and they all got locked up, they would all be tried with murder, which is damn near a life sentence. And Keefe D is 60 years old, so it doesn't matter. Even if he got 20 years, I doubt he's going to live till 80. Most people don't live till maybe 70, 80 at best. So he already has a life sentence. At that age, going to prison is probably one of the worst things ever. Regardless, let's go over some of the documents obtained by 8 News Now in Las Vegas. These are documents they revealed they obtained and they revealed some interesting information that in about a week from now, we're going to get new information, new new photos, new witnesses, new stuff out of all these years that the police have been holding on to that's going to be revealed. So that's going to really, really blow. Like, I think, I think this is going to be, if this, if, if Keefe D says not guilty, I'm not guilty, you know, he pleads not guilty, it's going to go to trial. And if it goes to trial and they don't give Keefe D a deal, which is possible, Keefe D could get a deal in this situation and be like, yo, tell us if Diddy has more involvement. If you know more things about Diddy, tell us about that. Because what would be bigger news? Keefe D getting arrested for Tupac's murder or Diddy getting arrested? Diddy's a billionaire. So it would do, obviously, the police would have even more, you know, because uh, we're forgetting all about Biggie dying. You know, maybe... Puffy has ties to that, too, of what happened there. So, Puffy Diddy, if you don't know, Diddy is used to be called Puff Daddy. So, for those people that don't know, I'm just breaking that down. But, uh, yeah, there's so many ways that this could go. It's wild. And this, this if, if Keefe D decides to plead not guilty and it goes to trial, right, and they don't give him a deal, and it goes to trial, and it gets broadcasted on TV, I'm here to say that this will be the biggest trial period, bigger than O.J. Simpson. And that O.J. Simpson shit was all over the TV. had the whole world divided. This will be bigger than O.J. Simpson because when was the last time a superstar of this magnitude was murdered to this extent and people didn't know what happened in the situation or didn't, you know, all these speculations? Because of all those conspiracy theories, speculations, all the people that got murdered, killed, passed on, whatever. When, when was the last time a superstar of this magnitude? John Lennon with the Beatles? That was like all the way in the 70s. So it's going to be huge, but let me go over the, because the, the, I'm just over here rambling, but let me go over the, some of the documents that were revealed, which is wild. Um, they're getting Keefe D with, 
with uh, orchestrating crimes as well. He is. They're putting Keefe D as the one that planned all this. They're putting him as the the kingpin of all this. That he was the one that did all this. He orchestrated it, which obviously is going to give him a lot more time. But at that point, you know, if he gets charged with murder and actually convicted, um, you know, he's going away for for life pretty much. Um, so let me go over uh, some of those documents. So uh, they basically asked one of the witnesses that uh, you know what, what, what you know who what, what was Keefe's role in this. Uh, Keefe is the one who's going to make all the arrangements and all the plans until that gun goes into somebody else's hand. So originally it was Keefe's idea to not only go and try to find Tupac and them, orchestrate this, but it was originally his idea and plan to shoot at Tupac and them because he had the gun in his hand originally. But like I'm explaining to you guys, and this is why it doesn't make sense that it was Orlando Anderson made no sense at all. Keefe and Orlando are on the passenger side, which means they're further away than Tupac was. Because Tupac came up with this side of the car, they came up with this side. So when you're on this side, it's harder for you to shoot across because you might even shoot your friend that's right next to you. It's better for the people that are on the actual side where Tupac is at, which was Big Dre and the driver. Obviously, the driver is going to shoot because he needs to get away. Big Dre in the back seat was the perfect one, and Big Dre was the one that was... Quoted as being more of a gangster, more of willing to do things that were more, you know, violent of this nature. So this this witness or this person that was involved in this situation says that originally Keefe D wanted to shoot, but just couldn't because it didn't have the right angle, didn't right, you know. Even Keefe D said that in his own book. He said it was shooting across was too much of a danger. He said that in his own book. And the art of dialogue when they interviewed Keefe D, it said there were reports of big Andre being the shooter. Or Big Dre being the shooter, KVD kind of got upset, man. He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to speak on that, man. He's like, oh, he got actually, you could see he was visibly angry at the fact that people were, were trying to switch this narrative, that it wasn't Orlando Anderson, that it was Big Dre. Because that would make that, here's why KVD would get mad at that. And here's why switching the, the person would affect KVD. Because when he did that proffer agreement back in 2009, he testified and said, everything that I'm telling is the truth. And the police said, if we find out it's not the truth, we can get you locked up immediately. So at the time, he said it was Orlando Anderson. But as evidence of witnesses starting to come out, it switched to Big Dre. So he told them a lie in 2009, which can get him locked up. So this whole thing, oh man, Keefe D just fucked up a big, big way. So that's what I mean. He doesn't want to be seen as a liar because the police can get him locked up for that. So he's always denied it and said it's Orlando Anderson. But... I'm telling you guys, it's going to be Big Dre. I'm telling you, if this goes to trial, Big Dre is going to be the one that's going to be the trigger. It doesn't matter, though, at the end of the day, because they're all deceased besides Keefe D, and they're all getting charged with murder regardless, even if they were alive. So I want to let you guys know that that doesn't matter who's the one that shot it off. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the person that, that let off the gun. is the. But at the end of the day, they all came up there to do something. They all wanted to, you know, do something to Tupac and Suge. Regardless, continuing on uh, in this eyewitness... Uh, this uh, eyewitness that went to go speak out, this Southside Crip gang member, which is wild. Uh, so this is what this is what a Southside Crip gang member testified when he passed the firearm to Orlando. Orlando didn't have a clear shot. Big Dre is six six. At this time, he's 370, 400 pounds. He's big. You're not going to be able to lean over a big guy like that. 
and, you know, get shots off. He said, you're not going to reach over like that because shells would have been popping all in Big Dre's face and all kinds of stuff. He can't bend down or anything. He's too big. And that makes total fucking sense. And to anybody, if you've never held a gun or shot a gun, you can't speak in this fucking situation. And just use common sense. Who the fuck would just stand there in the back seat like this leaning back when fucking shells are flying in their face? Especially at that big-ass guy that he is. So, yeah, this is wild. This is wild that this testimony is coming out finally after all these years. Um, and then they asked him, Dre, Big Dre, told you he did the shooting because he was friends with Big Dre. He answered, he did the shooting. This is a close Southside Crip gang member that knew Dre that talked to him about the shooting. He asked him, did you do the shooting? He said, yes, I did the shooting. Come on. Come on. So anyways, um, it's wild that this information's come out. Um, it is very, very wild this information's come out. Because after all these years, you know, uh, finally, there's going to be information cleared up. Uh, there's going to be no more guessing. And, uh, you know, hopefully KPD, you know, goes to trial because we're going to get so much new information. They, uh, this 8 News now, uh, news station said they got more information coming next week that's going to reveal newer and newer things. And then when it goes to trial, we're going to get even more new information. Um, so I do think if it gets broadcasted on TV, it's going to be the biggest trial ever because we're talking about something 27 years later. We're talking about one of the biggest artist period ever that's ever existed. You know, Tupac is known globally. Everybody fucking knows Tupac. I go to anywhere in America, anywhere globally. I've been in Germany. They all know Tupac. You know, so, um, yeah, we'll keep our eye on this. I'll keep you guys updated as usual. But there you go. An eyewitness Southside Crip gang member. Overall, man, sad, man. Tupac, so much talent, so much. I, you know, I think, I don't know who it was, man. I don't know who said it, but uh, it was a close friend of Tupac's. Who said it? Might have been Frank Alexander, he said this, which was Tupac's bodyguard for a year. He said that when if Tupac would have still been alive, he said in the 2000s he had planned to become a politician or run into politics, um, which would have been, like wild man. Um, I think he would have pulled that off really well because he said that Tupac noticed that his huge influence in the East coast versus West coast thing of how much people that were riding for him, that he was like politics to try to make a change in politics would have been the best, uh, way to kind of help people. At least that's what he said in what 1996. So <laughs> a lot of people say things, but then they never end up doing it. So, um, I do think Tupac would have still been relevant musically. I do think he would have been one of the biggest actors in the world, potentially. Uh, he was scheduled to have a role with like a Will Smith movie. I don't know what it was. I forget what the movie was, but it was an action movie that Will Smith got. Um, so he was, you know, obviously had talent in acting, had talent musically. Um, you know, he would have been, he would have been the biggest period right now. I don't think anybody would have, would have matched Tupac's level at least. Like Jay-Z wouldn't get the praise that Jay-Z's getting right now. That's not to knock Jay-Z and say that, oh, you know, Jay-Z's not cool. But right now Tupac would have been number one. I think Biggie would have been up there as well. Um, but Biggie, I don't know if he had that acting stuff. He did, he did appear on that Martin TV show and things here and there, little things, but I don't know. I don't know. Biggie's a whole different situation, but we got to figure out the whole Biggie thing too. That's another whole, 
I'm sure through this Tupac thing, we're going to find out more things about the Biggie situation that happened. So um, all of it's all of it's wild, but I'll keep you guys updated. Tupac's siblings uh, responded to Keefe D's arrest. And uh, uh, it's a sister. Pac's sister, uh, Set Shakur, shared that while she was pleased uh, with the forward motion, uh, pleased with forward motion was happening connected to her brother's killing, she didn't want to jump to conclusions. So... Uh, she said this, there, this is no, no doubt a pivotal moment. Uh, the silence of the past 27 years surrounding this case has spoken loudly in our community. It's important to me, the world, the country, the justice system, and our people acknowledge the gravity of the passing of this man, my brother, my mother's son, my father's son. She continued, uh, his life and death matters and should not go unsolved or unrecognized so yes today is a victory but i will reserve judgment until all facts and legal proceedings are complete there have been multiple hands involved and there remains so much surrounding the life and death of my brother tupac and our shakur family overall we are seeking real justice on all fronts that's beautiful and the fact she has she says there has been multiple hands involved so i don't know that sounds very very interesting um i'm sure more people more more information is going to come out i'm I want to be like I said, man. I want to be surprised if Diddy gets dragged into a lot of this stuff because it's 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 not looking good for him as well. So we'll keep our eye on this. But man, it would have been nice to see uh, Tupac's mother witness this finally after all the years of um, you know uh, she, all the years that she had to deal with her son's passing and all the rumors and all this crazy stuff. Uh, it would have been really really nice for her to get her justice while she was alive as well because um, she deserved that after you know all that time of uh, dealing with Pac's death. It's not easy for a mother to deal with her son's death. Usually it's the reverse way. The mother's supposed to pass away and the son's supposed to live on. But, uh, you know, so uh, overall, man, like I said, sad situation. Pac would have done something really, really magnificent for this world. And I wish, I wish the people that murder these type of, like, uh, like murderers don't think like this, though. I don't know why I'm trying to think of uh, in a way that I'm thinking. But murderers don't think like that. They don't think of how much that person impacted the world. And uh, same with Nipsey, man. I, I view the Nipsey and Tupac thing very similarly. Uh, Nipsey, I think as the years go on, now there isn't a lot of questions surrounding Nipsey's death like Tupac's was. That's what kind of gave Tupac this aura and this, um, you know, because look at this, 27 years later, and it's literally the hottest trending topic right now. Um, but Pac's, I mean, Nipsey's thing kind of got, you know, for the most part resolved in what it was. Um, but uh, yeah. We'll keep our eye out, um, and yeah, keep you guys posted on anything new that comes out. Special Ed went on Drink Champs and made an interesting point. He said that the destruction of hip-hop started from the NWA. Wu-Tang was dropping knowledge and positivity. Right. You know, NWA brought the age of destruction. <laughs> Damn. Jesus Christ. NWA brought the age of destruction to our children and our culture. Wow. Period. Hey, I respect all of them as men, right. but as the art form, and you want me to speak on the art form, I'm going to tell you what it is. That's where it started. Wow. That's where the agenda started, and that's where the destruction began. I can see where Special Ed is coming from this. Because before that, even Melly Mel, when I dropped the Eminem versus Melly Mel, I was doing a lot of, you know, looking into a lot of interviews with Melly Mel. I know a lot of people clown him because of the Eminem thing and just look at him in a different light because he disrespects a lot of the newer generation. But I like what M Melly Mel uh, stands for. And he says he's tired of 
gangster rap being brought into hip hop. These gangsters being brought into hip hop because it's all it's become all about violence, killings, shootings, and stuff like that. When hip hop wasn't birthed on that. It was more birthed on positivity. Yeah, competition was happening, but it was all about Mike rapping bars. Now it's about killing ops, drugs, whatever the case may be. And Melly Mel himself said that it was the NWA that kind of started that whole thing. Once they got involved into it, it started becoming more about gangsters getting into music and not like musicians and artists. Because think about it, hip-hop's the only genre that accepts gangsters. Like little criminals getting into the music. Like look at country music, look at rock, look at jazz, look at all these other genres, pop music, whatever. How often do you get a, a, a gang member, a criminal activity coming in? Not often. They're actually artists, you know. So I could see where he's coming from from this, saying that MWA brought musically, I can agree. But overall, like, you know, and this is what Ice Cube said, and I, I kind of agree with Ice Cube's point of view as well. Um, so one person tweeted at Ice Cube and said, uh, unfortunately, music did play a part with uh, crack being pumped into our black and Latino neighborhoods. Ice Cube said, bullshit, crack was in the neighborhoods a decade before gangster rap. In the 70s, they called it free bass. So was heroin, weed, mollies, gangbanging, drive-bys, pimping, hoeing, dropping out of school, young girls getting pregnant, cussing, and using the word, the N-word. Um, it was all here before NWA. Now, yeah, it was. There's no denying that, but but putting it as an entertainment form makes it a lot more appealing to kids. You know, that that that's not deniable that you cannot deny that at all. When you put it in a form that's entertaining and that that's mel- melodic, they can get it stuck in their head. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground, you know, like that, you know, like certain records that the NWA was doing were political movements in its own self in its own right, but you know, it did. It didn't introduce gangster rap, and it now it became a thing of how do we become more hard? How do we become more aggressive in our music? And that, you know, you know, Fifty's my favorite rapper, but Fifty, you know, he was talking about gangster shit left and right, man. You know, shooting, killing. You know, I, I, I you know, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Just listen to that twenty four seven. You know, now it's even become 10 times worse because there is no regulation in music anymore. Like back then it would be like you would have to submit this album to a label. The album would have to go go over it, you know, and approve records. And, you know, there would be censorship in music videos in terms of ass shaking and all these sexually explicit things. I remember Nelly had that tip drill video where he slides a like a, a debit card or credit card in between a girl's ass cheeks. And like she had some like panties on and he just slid it between her ass cheeks. And that, that was so controversial in the early 2000s that, like, Nelly got attacked like crazy. Now, like, we're seeing ass cheeks like it's nothing. Shit, Nelly Choppa a long time ago put him getting head in a music video. He blurred it out, but still, he's still, like, this is what I mean. We've gotten to the point where we've decentralized, like, de, de, um, decentralized, what the fuck am I talking about? De, desensitized, sorry, um, to all this stuff. Killings, sexual content. Uh, it's gotten to an extreme now where it's like it's 24-7 in your face. And we're just like, oh, somebody's talking about killing somebody and, you know, you know, dragging their body or pissing on their grave in a music video. It's uh, it's like, so, yeah, hip-hop's taking a really bad turn. And what I like now and what I'm noticing now is a lot more people are getting tired of this mumble rap and this, um, you know, ops killing stuff because a lot of music ain't charting like it was, especially this past year, like I said. Rap has been struggling to chart. Hip-hop has been struggling to chart. 
Because a lot of people are getting tired of this shit. They're tired of hearing the same type of music, same type of flow, same type of auto-tune, same type of beats. They want something new. So when J. Cole dropped that feature verse on that Lil Yachty song, the whole internet was ablaze for at least two days, man, praising J. Cole. I feel like people are hungry for bars again. They want they want some real shit. They want some... You saw Oliver Anthony and Country, bro, doing that, that uh, Richmond, North of Richmond song. You know, that's skyrocketed because people... In general, want realness, want raw music. They're tired of just money, money, shooting, killing, ass shaking. You know, at the end of the day, that's all 80% of the stuff that we're getting in music and hip hop is that. And, uh, you know, and I, I fall, I fall victim to it too. To say that I don't and act like I don't listen to it would be very hypocritical of me because I do. But as the years have gone on, like I'll see new music drops and certain artists and I'll just ignore it. Like that Rick Ross and uh, Meek Mill song is dope, Shaq and Kobe. They got a whole collab album coming. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, there's certain songs that come out that are cool, but I'm just like, eh, do I really replay them that much? Do I really listen to them that much? Like, Rod Wave is doing his thing. That's why I appreciate Rod Wave. He's doing a different style, speaking about his pain, and that's why he's, he's charting number one every time because people are, are feeling it. They're loving that stuff. And, um, yeah, Ice Cube rebuttaling it and saying that it's not. No, NWA played a huge role into that, and to say that, no, I'm not saying that NWA was the sole reason that hip-hop turned the way it was, but it, it played a major role in it. So, um, yeah, that's my take on that. But let me know what you guys think on that on that subject. Uh, speaking of personal music and taking off, Cardi B talked about um, why she doesn't release personal music. And I disagree with Cardi B wholeheartedly. Cardi, if you ever watch you know, this podcast in whatever way, shape, or form, um, I encourage you to release more personal music. So she said this on the Hot Ones. A lot, of tell, a lot of people tell me I should put my pain, my struggle in my music. A lot of my pain or struggles or whatever the crap is going on, the masses might not be able to relate. Uh, the masses might not be able to relate. Like it's, oh my gosh, they're tearing a new asshole on Twitter on me because I said this, this, and that. She continued, the average person is like, girl, shut up. I got to work up. I got to wake up at seven in the morning. I got to do this, this, and that. So it's like, I don't really like to make music like I would normally do an intro um, like I would literally just like, she's how many times she says like, like to make my intro of everything, addressing all the bullshit, addressing the bitches, addressing the shit I got to go through. And then just the whole album just be about fun. So she's saying only the intro on her album. She likes to talk about the personal stuff. And then the rest is just a fun album. I disagree wholeheartedly. Personally for me, one of my favorite albums from actually one of my favorite female albums or just hip hop albums period is Nicki Minaj's pink print. She was very personal on the album, on a lot of tracks, and I really enjoyed that album from her. It's her best album, in my opinion, and uh, I don't know if Pink Friday 2 is going to have that type of personal feel to it, but to me, that's her best album because of the personal stuff. I enjoy when artists get into their bag about personal stuff because people can relate. Cardi B, you know, dismissing it and saying people can't relate or they don't care is totally false. And I, I don't know how people, when they saw that Oliver Anthony thing, and the way it skyrocketed, I don't know why people don't pick up from that and be like, yeah, maybe people want some raw, real shit. They're tired of hearing just ass shaking and bongos and WAP and all these records that Cardi B's making. Make, you know, if she made more personal stuff, she would, I think she would do a lot better too. Uh, more people would, would, would gravitate towards her. Um, so I disagree with Cardi on that situation. I think a lot more artists, like I said, 50 for me, my favorite artist, uh, I, I, I feel he missed on the Curtis album and before I self-destruct, I felt like they could have been way more personal albums. Uh, they burn me was originally scheduled to be one of the singles off the original version of before I self-destruct. So, you know, the, so if you guys don't know, before I self-destruct was supposed to come out before Curtis 
and 50 announced that in like 2006. So he shot They Burn Me around 2007, I think the music video, 2008. So yeah, it probably came after Curtis. But that was one of the songs that was scheduled to be one of the lead singles off before I self-destruct. Didn't go that route, obviously. That song ended up being a song that, that got, you know, diminished and then eventually came out when the fans kept asking 50 to release it. So, um, you know, 50 missed on that boat, which I'm very, you know, sad about. And just in general, like, I think more artists should go personal. It just, it sounds way better. So Cardi B, I disagree in this situation. I would like to hear more about, you know, struggles that you've been through because she's been through her own struggles herself. So, um, yeah, wild, wild thing. Kanye West. So Kanye, uh, there's been a lot of leaks coming when it comes to Kanye. A lot of stuff leaking. And I would not be surprised if a lot of the stuff that's leaking is from Kanye himself. Because Kanye's been known to do that. And to kind of keep Kanye's name, you know, um, afloat. Not really afloat, because I'm not saying like he's not relevant or anything. But just to kind of keep him in the mix of things while he's out, you know, doing random things in Paris or Italy, wherever the hell he's at with that girl. Um He's releasing like these music, these leaks that are coming out. Jesus is King, I think, uh, the second one. Jesus is King Two with Eminem and you know um, all these 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 uh, features created with Dr. Dre. That was an album. Um, a lot of these songs just leaked. The whole album damn near leaked, and uh, you know fans are going crazy as 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 verses from Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Travis Scott, Pusha T, lots of people. But as these leaks are coming out, there's also leaks of documentaries that Kanye shot or music videos. There's a song uh, from Kanye that leaked called New Body with Nicki Minaj and Ty Dolla Sign. And there's a whole music video to it attached to it that never came out. It just leaked right now, though, fairly recently. It's an interesting music video. It's like these, these neon effects and they're like dressed up in these kind of weird type of costumes. Um, overall, that music video came out and... All this stuff is leaking relating to Kanye, but the, the stuff that's getting a lot of attention right now is the documentary clips that have been leaking. Um, one, he talks about Cardi B in this documentary clip, and this is in 2000. Mind you, a lot of this stuff is from 2018, so Kanye has kind of changed his stance on a lot of uh, like the Cardi B situation. What he's saying right now in this 2018 clip, he's changed his stance. Like Two, three years later, he said, um, you know, I got love for Cardi B. I think she's really dope, blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to play you guys this Cardi B clip. Very interesting. But th mind you, this is old. He does not feel about Cardi B, at least in recent interviews. He doesn't feel like this about her anymore. But in 2018, this is what leaked and came out. So let me play this for you guys. That's why, that's why, that's why fucking Cardi B was over there. Cardi B is a plant by the Illuminati. She don't write her raps. She's just there to like sound as ignorant as possible and, just, and then make songs like fuck him and then get some money. You know, she just literally replaced, you know, Nicki Minaj purposely. That they put her there. And now she doesn't know what to do. And she's just a fucking, she has no idea what the fuck is going on. She thinks it's just a blessing from the universe. There ain't no blessing from the fucking universe. So he's saying Cardi B is, you know, an industry plant. If you don't know what that term means, industry plant is when, you know, the industry kind of just randomly brings out a star and she blows up or the person blows up out of nowhere. And you're like, how did this person blow up out of nowhere? Well, that's what the industry plan is. They, the industry just puts a bunch of money behind them, plants them in this area, and all of a sudden they're huge superstars. That's what he's saying about Cardi B at that time in 2018. And he said, basically, she's part of Illuminati and they're trying to get rid of Nicki Minaj. And that's the whole reason that Cardi blew up. But he's changed his stance on this. This is from 2018, which is a long time ago. 
And then there's another clip, and this one caught a lot of people's attention because he's kind of going in on everybody on good music. He goes in on Pusha T, Tiana Taylor. He goes in on that collab album he did with Nas and said Nas was rapping off beat. Um, then he says some more stuff, but I'm going to play the clip for you guys. It ain't going to be in this situation. It's going to be a get me out this motherfucking good music shit now. And Scooter ain't going to be no, oh, I'm still putting my name on a shit. I need to get rid of good music because I'm great. And guess what? Good is the enemy of great. The fuck I'm doing giving Wanna Love You to fucking Tiana. What the fuck I'm doing giving that Daytona album to Pusha. What the fuck I'm doing, bro? That shit like I, that shit was three dark fantasies that I gave away. Cop shot the kid, Nas rapping all goddamn offbeat on it. Don't even want to shoot a video. They shoot the video, don't even tell me. These motherfuckers don't appreciate me. All these motherfuckers is trying to use me. I'm the greatest motherfucking artist living, and I can do everything. And I'm not being expanded, and my vision is not being expanded to what it is. I'm performing at other people's festivals and shit. I've been wanting a fucking festival. People not touring my shit. People saying I'm locked in a I've been recouped. These niggas made fake black skinheads. I got the fake black skinhead. Marty Van Deer told me, I'm sick. I'm sick. Ain't nobody reach me. Y'all boys better not fuck with me, bro. These boys better not about to play that black, black, black skinhead on Twitter live quick. And I know my life is on the line when I'm talking. But I know ain't nobody gonna touch me because I'm too high profile. I'm not triple X. So y'all can't take me out. But I bet you I get off my motherfucking publishing. I bet you I get my motherfucking festival. And I bet you I get off a of universal. And I bet you y'all don't talk to Adidas again. Wow. So went in on Pusha. Um, do basically all the work he did in 2018 with all these albums. You know, with Pusha Tiana Taylor, Nas. You know, and then he dropped his own project. He dropped like five albums in the span of like a month. Um, he's talking about that. Then the universal deal that he revealed a while ago on Twitter, all the paperwork and how he's getting scammed out of money. And then, you know, talking about um, having his own festival, which I'm surprised Kanye's never gotten his own festival. That's wild in my own. I think he does deserve that because Kanye would absolutely kill that. Um, you know, the Adidas situation, talking about getting out of that. So he's actually executed on a lot of these things. He's done well on a lot of these things. But people are paying attention to the disrespect to Nas, mainly out of all this. I'm talking about, you know, he's rapping off beat, so on and so forth. Um, but, yeah, a lot of this stuff, what's interesting about Kanye is a lot of this stuff is Kanye is really raw and authentic, regardless if cameras are on or off. I'm sure he knew cameras were on at this time. He was literally doing a photo shoot. So you're going to expect some type of uh, cameras to be on. His documentary, the person that was following, I'm sure, um, you know, Kanye knew and just like roll 24-7, doesn't matter what I say. So Kanye's always been Kanye, regardless of cameras going on and off which is uh, a huge refreshing thing because a lot of celebrities, you know, they change. When the camera comes on, they're a whole different person. When it goes off, they're a whole different person. Kanye's always been 100, to me in my eyes at least, every single time and spoke his mind regardless of how people felt. So um, all this stuff that's going on with Kanye is just overall interesting. I'm kind of keeping an eye on a lot of it because a lot of music's coming out of the situation, which is pretty cool. Um, I don't know who's leaking it. I Like I said, I have my speculations that it could be Kanye. But, you know, people are saying that Drake, because he has such huge ties to Universal, he's probably trolling him and leaking his music out because Universal probably has, you know, holdings of a lot of this music. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just throwing shit out there. Um, the interesting thing he said in this was that I'm too high profile to be taken out like Triple X, which is XXX Tentacion. You know, he got killed. So 
Um, I don't know if that's like subliminals to Drake because a lot of people speculate Drake had a role and, you know, um, allegedly, you know, doing something triple X, but, um, yeah, it's wild that he said it was just interesting to kind of throw that out there. He's like, I'm too high profile to be taken out like X. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what you guys think of this. I'm going to keep my eye out. There's more footage that comes out, more interesting things. Usually always something going on with Kanye. So, um, regardless, he's got a point in a lot of these things though. A lot of people call him crazy and call him, you know, all these names and say, Oh, he's this and that. He doesn't know, you know, what he's saying, but nah, man, he, um, he, he, he sometimes be spitting facts. So new music, a lot of new music came out. Uh, first Lil Wayne dropped the fix before, uh, the Carter six, I believe, uh, which features a few little artists. A lot of people were disappointed by this project. I listened to a couple tracks. Um, yeah, it's not really anything too special. Uh, no disrespect to Lil Wayne, but you know, I'm um, hoping the Carter Six is a little bit better than what we got on this uh, mixtape. Uh, Meek Mill and Rick Ross dropped Shaq and Kobe. Like I said, I enjoyed the track. They announced a collab album that they're dropping, which I think is long overdue. I think that should have happened a long time ago, but I'm glad that they ended their whatever issues that they had because at certain points there were reports that, you know, Rick Ross was stealing money from Meek Mill or, you know, financially things weren't going right between the two. So I'm happy that they figured that out. Um, Tyga and YG drop hit me when you leave the club and i've heard a couple tracks i am very intrigued by this project i think it's a so far from what i've heard um i've enjoyed it so i'm gonna listen a lot more to it but to me and i'm genuinely surprised because i'm not really a big fan of um yg or tyga but who would have thought them two coming together would have delivered such uh such a great project so so far based on a few tracks that i listened to i've enjoyed it uh little dirk and kid Cudi dropped gut uh guitar in my room uh, Yo Gotti and CMG dropped Gangsta Art 2, which I haven't had a chance to check out. I'm definitely going to check that out. Lotto dropped It's a Party featuring Baby Drill. Lil Gunner and G Hero dropped uh, Got the Sack. And uh, a few others, Pink Panthers dropped Mosquitoes. So let me know what you guys think of those tracks. Um, I'm going to be listening to a, that definitely a Yo Gotti project. I need to listen to that out of all these. And the Tyga and YG, I'm going to finish that up as well because I have enjoyed it so far. So... Uh, new music on that. Album sales. Let's get into album sales. Let's see what, what's out here selling these units. Number one. Back to number one. Olivia Rodrigo Guts is at 89,000 sold. Back to number one. Rod Wave is at number two. And Nostalgia, 84,000 sold. Morgan Wallen, One Thing at a Time, is at number three with 71,000 sold. Doja Cat, her new album, debuted at number four with 69,596 sold. So damn near almost 70,000 copies sold her first week on her album. Uh, Zach Bryan, self-titled album. Zach Bryan is at number five with 66,000. SZA SOS is at number six with 47,000. Zach Bryan, uh, Boys of Faith, debuted at number seven with 47,000. Travis Scott, Utopia is at number eight with 43,000. Peso Bluma, Genesis at number nine with 42,000. Taylor Swift, Midnight's at number 10 with 41,000. Lil Tecca, Tech, debuted at number 11 with 40,000. I got to check that album out still. I haven't checked that out. Um, so that debuted at number 11 with 40,000. Pretty good. Um, going down the charts... Let's see. Lots of Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is all over the fucking charts, bro. This might be like the 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 closest thing we got to Michael Jackson. I'm not even capping when I say this. She is like just dominating the charts. Like I, I genuinely I want to count how many albums she has in the chart. I'm about to do that right now. Let's see. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight albums in the top 50. And they're all moving like fucking... Like, what's the lowest right now that's moving units? 
the lowest album she has moving units right now is 18,000 copies. And the highest she has is 41,000. And everything in between. Some of them moving 30, some of them moving 35, some of them moving 25, some of them 29. Like, bro, she's moving every week just off of these albums on this chart, like 300,000 units every week. Like, what the fuck is going on? That's just wild to me. Taylor is just like a whole different monster. Uh, Drake and 21 Savage, her loss, number 26 with 21,000. Gonna Gift and Curse, number 30 with 20,000. Drake Certified Lover Boy, number 32 with 19,000. Metro Boomin' Heroes and Villains, number 33 with 19,000. Drake Take Care, number 35 with 17,000. Little Baby My Turn, number 40 with 16,000. Eminem Curtain Call, number 42 with 16,000. Says a control number 46 with 15,000. Yeah. But Taylor, damn, Taylor. She's just, that's wild. Fucking eight albums? Like, what the fuck? There's like, there's like a version and there's Taylor's version. Like, did, oh yeah, she had that contract with the label and it wasn't going well. So she re recorded her albums. Why don't more artists do that? Like, what the fuck? I'm, I'm sorry for bringing up 50 again, but I'm upset at the fact that Power of the Dollar has never been re-recorded and released. I think 50 should do that. I think he would move easily units. He would start making money off that, but I don't think 50 gives a shit. He makes so much money off tour, and the numbers just came out for his worldwide tour in 2022, the Green Light Gang tour, not this final lap tour, but those worldwide numbers came out. He grossed $50 million just off that. So, yeah, the guy is not even worried about re-recording the album or even music in general, which is unfortunate, but I do think we need Power of the Dollar re-recorded, re-released. That would be fire. Um, but... Yeah, that's it for today's episode of the Diverse Mentality Podcast. Thank you always for supporting Spotify, Deezer, Podcasts, YouTube, all that. I appreciate the support. Um, TikTok, Diverse Mentality. Uh, Twitter, Diverse Mentality. Uh, Instagram, Diverse Mentality. All that. You know what it is. Snapchat, Diverse Mentality as well. Hit us up on there as well. And have an amazing night, day, whenever you listen to this. And peace.